and diversity in structure, student learning outcomes. At the completion of this exercise you should 1. Be able to list and describe the three major evolutionary breakthroughs in plant evolution. 1. The development of a vascular or plumbing system. 2. The evolution of a seed in place of only a spore. And 3. The advent of the flower. One of the goals of today's exercise is for you to be able to explain the advantages of these three evolutionary breakthroughs. 2. Be able to examine selected plant specimens and differentiate between those which reproduce with seeds and those which use spores. 3. Be able to examine selected seed plant specimens and categorize them as to whether they reproduce using cones or flowers. 4. Be able to identify the major parts of a flower and describe their roles in reproduction. 5. Be able to identify the vascular bundles in leaves and stems and distinguish the different patterns of monocots and dicots. 6. Be able to examine several flowering plant specimens and identify the anatomical features which characterize monocots and dicots. 7. Be able to diagram a stomate in a leaf and identify the two guard cells that it is composed of. 8. Be able to examine fern gametophytes and sporophytes and distinguish between the gametophyte and sporophyte generations. 9. Be able to compare and contrast plant life cycles and animal life cycles. 10. Be able to apply a simple dichotomous key to classify sample organisms into their proper kingdom, divisions, and classes. Introduction to Taxonomy, the classification of living things. Taxonomy is the science that deals with classifying and naming living things. This process involves identifying and describing characteristics of organisms. Today, taxonomy is part of a broader science called systematics which not only includes the classification and naming of life, taxonomy, but also the tracing of its evolutionary history. Systematics, which might be called evolutionary taxonomy, is dedicated to the study of living things in an effort to understand the evolutionary history and the evolutionary relationships among organisms. It is important to make this distinction between taxonomy and systematics. Taxonomy began long before the development of modern evolutionary theory that all living things on this earth are related by common descent. Many taxonomic groups used today are relics of a pre-evolutionary worldview which believe that all species on Earth were created uniquely by a supernatural being, a god. This view held, and still holds for many who believe in special creation, intelligent design, that species have not and will not change through time. Taxonomy, not based on an evolutionary view, only seeks to make it easy to identify the different groups of life on Earth. Today, however, the taxonomic questions that excite most biologists are those based on the assumption that evolution has occurred and that the similarities we see in animals are only there because they have come from, evolved from, a common ancestor. Trying to figure out the best way to determine which organismal group gave rise to another, phylogeny, is a challenge. Systematics has recently undergone a rebirth of interest with different alternative taxonomic systems competing for acceptance by evolutionary biologists. Linnaeus and the development of classification. A little background, in the 18th century, taxonomy flourished and culminated in the hierarchical Linnaean classification scheme most of you are already familiar with. In the 1700s Carolus Linnaeus developed a scheme based on arranging organisms into a series of groups of ever-increasing inclusiveness for example humans are put into a more inclusive group called apes. 
Apes are put into a more inclusive group called primates. Primates are put into a more inclusive group called mammals and so on. The major categories are called taxa, sing. Taxon, hence the name of the study of classification, taxonomy. By convention there are seven mandatory taxonomic levels in this taxonomic scheme. In ascending order, they are, species, genus, family, order, class, phylum, and kingdom. One of Linnae's goals was to elucidate, through the classification of species, the unique special creations of a supernatural being. The point is that there were no evolutionary tree diagrams being made by Linnaeus because he did not consider the possibility that evolution had occurred. Enter Charles Darwin et al. in the late 1800s. With the scientific evidence mounting that all living things had evolved from common ancestors, the approach to classifying living things began to take on a different emphasis. No longer was taxonomy being done to just make it easy to slot a species into a particular group for identification purposes. Rather, taxonomy, now called systematics, began to focus attention on the evolutionary relationships and evolutionary history among organisms when they slotted animals into different groups. What this meant was that seemingly unrelated animals would often be slotted into the same taxon group. Today, for example, we find whales, bats, and humans, placed together in the class mammalia not because they look alike but because current evidence supports an evolutionary relationship. The point is that with a switch in emphasis away from easy identification of species to a focus on evolutionary similarities, the taxonomic scheme became less user-friendly for the field and novice biologist student. The two most common systematic schemes that have emerged to try to help explain the evolutionary history and relationships of living things are as follows. 1. Evolutionary Taxonomy Systematics 1. The development of a vascular or plumbing system 2. The evolution of a seed in place of only a spore and 3. The advent of the flower one of the goals of today's exercise is for you to be able to explain the advantages of these three evolutionary breakthroughs. 2. Cladistic Taxonomy 1. Evolutionary Taxonomy This is a traditional classification scheme that most biologists are familiar with. Evolutionary Taxonomy Systematics is based strongly on a comparison of morphological and embryological characteristics. Evolutionary taxonomists seek to maximize the way in which the groupings they create communicate information about the group of organisms and that taxon in the way the word mammal or reptile does for even an untrained person. This type of division is also intended to increase the ease with which a field biologist or a student can retrieve information about a group of organisms of interest to him using the taxonomic divisions formed. Its supporters suggest that the degree of genetic differences between lineages should be used in addition to their genealogical, evolutionary, similarities when developing taxonomic classifications. For example, birds are put in a separate class called aves instead of being slotted into the class reptilia where their closest living relatives, the crocodiles, are placed. Unlike cladistic classification schemes that will be discussed later, Evolutionary taxonomists are more tolerant of multiple branches developing synchronously from an ancestral line, rather than just two as in cladistics taxonomy. And they tend to treat organisms that are unchanged when a new branch arises from their lineage as the same species that existed before the branching event, that is, 
The original species does not always become extinct every time a branching event occurs as cladistic taxonomists believe. 2. Cladistic taxonomy. Conventional evolutionary taxonomy systematics is carried out by scientists who base their identifications of organisms upon a few important characteristics and a gut feeling about evolutionary relationships developed during their many years of experience. Cladistic taxonomic methods were invented by systematists who believe that the conventional approach to evolutionary classification is too subjective. These scientists argue that taxonomy should not be based on a few characteristics arbitrarily judged to be important by early experts in the field. As a consequence, the cladistic approach to taxonomy was born. Interestingly, the approach used in cladistics was first used as a way to trace the evolution of human languages. These days cladistics is quite fashionable. It seems to have made the study of taxonomy exciting again for a new generation of biologists. It challenges people to think objectively in a new way about the chronological sequence of evolutionary breakthroughs that have led to all of the animal groups. Just as the study of anatomy is not as much fun to learn without studying function, physiology, the study of classification is not much fun without thinking about an organism's characteristics in the context of when, why and from whom they evolved. Cladistics does this in a very analytical fashion. The approach requires the use of a specially programmed computer running complex programs like MACLAD, which work out the most likely branching patterns, cladogram, for a particular set of organisms. To be successful one must first master a strict set of rules and a unique set of terms that go with them. Fun terms like apomorphic, plesiomorphic, synapomorphies, derived characters, outgroups, homology, analogy, clad, cladogram, monophyletic, and parsimony are some of the more important ones used when preparing the data to enter into the computer program. In this system the term clad replaces all the conventional category names you are most familiar with. Category names such as kingdom, phylum, class, order, and family etc. are gone. For example, the clad evolutionary branch called reptiles plus birds is nested in a bigger clad called the vertebrates which is nested in an even bigger clad called the chordates and so on. Most biologists, trained in traditional systematics, are being asked to play catch-up and may never be converted. Introduction to the domains and kingdoms. It was once popular to classify living organisms as either animal or plant. Animals were organisms that enkindled, breathed, and ate things. Plants were organisms that did not move, breathe, or eat. The fungi, algae, and bacteria were usually grouped with the plants, while the protozoans, one-celled organisms that engulf their food, were classified with the animals. However, over the last 30 years, a great deal of new information has been collected about each of these groups using the electron microscope and new biochemical techniques. As a result, it is now commonly believed that there are more than just the two plant and animal evolutionary groups or kingdoms. In fact, it now seems clear that three major kinds, domains, of life evolved on Earth. Traditionally, the major kinds of life on Earth have been called kingdoms. Some biologists suggest that the term kingdom be completely eliminated, and the use of the term domain be used instead. In this class you will learn both the three domains and the traditional kingdoms that are found in each. As indicated above, the most recent proposals, 
based on biochemical techniques involving the comparison of RNA gene sequences, suggests that all of life can be grouped into three large groups called domains. The most inclusive is the domain eukarya. The name basically implies that these unicellular or multicellular life forms have cells with nuclei and other cell organelles they are said to be eukaryotes. This group includes four of the six kingdoms of life you are to know. They are kingdoms Animalia, Plantae, Protista, and Fungi. The remaining two domains include unicelled organisms, whose cells have no nucleus or other cell organelles they are said to be prokaryotes. They are the domains Bacteria and Archaea. These three domains, and the traditional kingdoms found in each, are summarized below. You need to learn them. Domain Eukarya 1. Kingdom Protista includes heterotrophic protozoa, photosynthetic protists, algae, and mixotrophic protists. Mixotrophs are able to photosynthetic and heterotrophic. 2. Kingdom Fungi includes molds, yeast, mildews, and mushrooms. 3. Kingdom Animalia includes all animal phyla excluding the protozoan organisms which were once included. 4. Kingdom Plantae includes the multicellular plants, most of which are adapted for life on land. Domain Bacteria includes unisled prokaryotes known simply as bacteria. Domain Archaea The primitive unisled prokaryote life forms in this domain were once placed in the Kingdom Bacteria. However, recent gene comparisons have indicated that they are very different from the so-called true bacteria. The unicellular life forms in this group have both prokaryote and eukaryote traits as well as many unique ones of their own. They are often found living in the most extreme temperature, pH, saline, and high-pressure environments on Earth, therefore, often nicknamed extremophiles. Today we will focus our attention on the plant kingdom. Plant Evolution Current evidence suggests that land plants evolved from a group of aquatic organisms, called green algae, approximately 455 million years ago. From that time until now, these plants have undergone periodic evolutionary adaptations in response to competitive pressures from predators, physical factors, and other plants. The chronology of major evolutionary breakthroughs adaptations can be inferred by studying the plant fossil record and by using a classification method called cladistics. Cladistics leads to the development of a visual branching diagram, called a cladogram. That indicates what is believed to be the chronological sequence of evolutionary breakthroughs adaptations and the plant groups that have them. See figure 1. The study of plant evolution indicates that there were three major evolutionary breakthroughs that stand out above others. These three evolutionary advancements breakthroughs were 1. The development of a vascular or plumbing system 2. The evolution of a seed in place of only a spore and 3. The advent of the flower. One of the goals of today's exercise is for you to be able to explain the advantages of these three evolutionary breakthroughs. The three primitive plant characteristics to know. The plant fossil record indicates that the first terrestrial land plants did not have a vascular plumbing system. Further, they produced spores rather than the more advanced seeds, and they did not use flowers for pollination. Instead, the male gamete had to swim through a thin film of water searching for a female plant rather than being carried there by an insect or other animal. This accounts for why most primitive plants alive today are always found in very moist environments. 
plants are still alive today that are descendants of these original land plants. They still exhibit the three basic primitive land plant characteristics mentioned above. They include the moss plant division, along with other, less familiar, plant groups, divisions, called liverworts and hornworts. All of these primitive, plants are very small because they have no vascular tissue, plumbing, to allow the movement of water, and nutrients from deep in the soil to leaves high in the sky, and vice versa, they are said to have no root or stems, meaning no vascular system. Critical thinking question, be able to explain why a moss plant cannot grow large. How does the lack of a vascular system limit the size in which the plant can grow? Replace this text with your answer. The first major evolutionary breakthrough. The first major advancement in plant evolution, change, was the development of vascular tissue, plumbing. Vascular tissue allowed plants to grow much larger and compete better for sunlight, water, and nutrients etc. The fern division, horsetail division and the less known whisk fern division of plants are still alive today and illustrate this first evolutionary advancement while still having the original primitive characteristics. The second major evolutionary breakthrough. The second major advancement was the development of a seed in place of a spore. You must learn the difference between the two. In brief, a spore is usually a single cell which that can divide into a multicellular organism. A seed, on the other hand, is an embryonic plant with an attached food supply and is covered by a seed coat. When you think of seeds, consider the peanut. The hinge that holds the two halves, food canisters, together is essentially the embryo and hands, roughly equivalent to a spore. Critical thinking question, be able to explain the advantages of a seed over a spore in the following circumstance. Both a seed and spore land on the ground but leaf litter prevents either of them from direct contact with the soil. The seed grows into a plant while the spore perishes. Replace this text with your explanation. The conifers, cycads, and lesser-known mitophyte and ginkophyte groups, divisions, are still alive today and illustrate the second evolutionary advancement, as well as the first. Because they are larger, pollination no longer can occur simply by the microscopic male gametes swimming to the female plant through a thin film of water, as in the more primitive plants. Instead, pollination in these plants involves the use wind and or gravity to get the male gamete pollen to a female plant. Critical thinking question, why do these plants have to depend on wind or gravity instead of using animals like honeybees to carry the pollen to the female? Answer, when these plants evolved, there were no insects or birds to carry the pollen from male to female as is seen in the more recently evolved flowering plants. Insects and birds evolved after plants like conifers and cycads evolved. The third major evolutionary breakthrough. The third major breakthrough in plant evolution was the advent of the flower. The evolution of flowering plants was arguably the most important evolutionary event to take place on this earth. The evolution of flowering plants triggered the greatest increase in new species the earth has ever seen. To understand why this is true you must appreciate what flowers are for. Flowers are usually colorful advertisements communicating to animals that there is something good to eat at this location. That something to eat is often sweet, energy-rich nectar or pollen. More flowering plants meant more food available for insect species. More insects meant more food for species that eat insects and so on. The result was an explosion of living things on Earth. 
More on why plants with flowers are so successful. While an insect, or other animal, is at the flower seeking food, it inadvertently picks up some pollen grains that include the male gamete. While visiting another plant of the same species the carried pollen grains are inadvertently rubbed off onto the female part of that flower allowing cross-fertilization, sexual reproduction, too. Okay, so what do we got here? We got... You've reached 20 minute daily limit. Okay, so we're going to do a part two. I'm going to try to figure out where this left off. And we'll go from there. Okay? So I'm going to try to look for where it went. This will be part two of the lab. This time I'm using a different robot voice. This one is Zoe. And she's on the frequency of 22.050 hertz. And this is a conversational uh, robot. Critical thinking question. All life forms on Earth produce offspring by a process that is usually called sexual reproduction. In some, asexual reproduction occurs for a time, but is always followed by sexual reproduction. In asexual reproduction, the result are offspring that are exactly the same as the original. They are said to be clones. This form of reproduction has major disadvantages to the species when the environment changes dramatically. Sexual reproduction, on the other hand, produces offspring that are not identical to either of the parents because they are a mixture of both parents' genes. What are the disadvantages of offspring produced by asexual reproduction when the environment changes and, in contrast, what are the advantages of offspring produced by sexual reproduction when the environment changes? Replace this text with your answer. I important plant structures to know. Biologists use certain characteristics to distinguish the various plant evolutionary groupings, such as divisions, classes, subclasses, etc., from one another. In classifying an unknown plant, you must know which anatomical characteristics are the most useful. In part 3 of this exercise, you will be asked to classify various plants into their appropriate evolutionary groups. You will use the knowledge about plant characteristics that you will obtain in sections A through G that follow. Procedure. Divide up into groups of 3 or 4. Stations labeled A through G can be found on the side tables in the laboratory. Go to the station which coincides with the different sections in this exercise and make the proper investigations as directed. It does not matter where you start in this section. Section A. What are spores and seeds? Four of the seven divisions you are to learn today have spores rather than seeds. They are the bryophyta mosses, hepatophyta, liverworts, terophyta, ferns, phenophyta, horsetails. The remaining three divisions you are to learn have seeds rather than spores. They are the divisions coniferophyta, the conifers, psychodophyta, the cycads or sago palms, and anthophyta, the flowering plants. Coniferophyta and anthophyta are among the divisions of plants that form seeds. The more primitive bryophyta mosses, hepatophyta, liverworts, phenophyta, horsetails, and terophyta reproduce by means of spores. If you stop to consider, you will realize that you have never seen the seed of a moss or fern. These plants possess spores instead of seeds. A seed is a multicellular body with large amounts of stored food. A spore is unicellular and has a smaller quantity of available food. For this reason, seeds can remain dormant for relatively long periods of time. Well, spores usually must grow in a shorter time if they are to grow at all. 
Observation 1. Compare the sizes of the seeds and spores displayed on the laboratory table. Question 1. Describe the size difference in seeds and spores and try to explain why one is larger than the other. Replace this text with your answer. Section B. Cones and flowers. Division coniferophyta versus division anthophyta. If we consider only the divisions with seeds, coniferophyta, psychodophyta, and anthophyta, we find that seeds can be born in either cones or flowers. Observation 2. Cones. Pine trees have cones composed of woody scales. At the base of each scale one can find a winged seed. When a ripe cone is shaken, the seeds easily sift out from among the scales. No tissue actually surrounds the seed. This characteristic is reflected in the old name for this group, gymnospermy or naked seed as well as their nickname the gymnosperms. These plants are commonly called conifers, or cone-bearing plants. The spruce, fir, hemlock, and other such plants are members of division coniferophyta. Examine the cones provided and observe the scales and seeds. Observation 3, Seeds. Next observe the pod of a pea or bean. Note that the seeds are surrounded by a pod and are not naked. It is therefore necessary to shell the pea or bean pod to observe the seeds. These plants and many thousands similar to them are members of division anthophyta, flowering plants. The seed pod is the enlarged base of the pistil of the flower, the other parts of the flower having withered and fallen off. Section C Anthophyte Flower Parts, Monocots versus Dicot. Of all the plant groups the flowering plant division anthophyta has evolved most recently. The flower gave them such a tremendous reproductive advantage over other more primitive plants that they have come to dominate most plant communities in the world. Because this is true we'll ask you to learn much more about flowering plant anatomy structure than all of the other plant divisions. Reproductive structures and strategies are often the most important characteristics that distinguish different taxonomic groups of living things. The plant kingdom is no exception. For example, the presence of flowers allows us to identify members of the division anthophyta, and certain key characteristics of flowers reveal whether a plant is a member of the class Monocotyledony monocots or the class Dicotyledony dicots. The names Monocotyledony and Dicotyledony are based on the number of cotyledons, embryonic leaves, that emerge from the soil when the plant is first germinating. Can you guess how many cotyledons first emerge in monocots versus dicots based on their names? Other characteristics of flowers help in identification of a plant's order, family, genus and species. Plants may use two types of reproduction, asexual, or vegetative, and sexual. Flowering plants can reproduce asexually, through mitosis, by numerous means. For example, in strawberry plants, the tip of a branch may arch down, come into contact with the soil, and develop leafy branches that root and form new plants. The most common method of reproduction, however, is by sexual means, through meiosis. As in animals, sexual reproduction in plants requires the formation of gametes and their transport from one individual to another. This is the primary function of the flower. Observation 4. Flower Parts You are to learn the four structural parts common to all flowers. The parts, and the numbers of each, can be used to classify flowering plants into the two different classes in the division. You will be expected to learn these two classes and their characteristics. Examine a snapdragon and a gladiolus flower for this part of the exercise. Make sure you are looking at one flower, not the entire stem of flowers in fluorescence for each part. Identifying the parts is easiest if you look from the outside of the entire flower inward, as many parts are highly modified and therefore appear very different from the generic flower, as pictured in figure 3. Flower parts and their definitions. Sepals these, modified leaves, are the outermost structures of the flower. They are typically green, 
although they may be another color. They are the outside leaves that protect the newly developing flower. In some cases, they may function as petals assuming the petal color as they develop, as is the case with the gladiolus flower today. Petals these light to the inside of the sepals and are often brightly colored. Both the sepals and petals are attached to the enlarged end of the branch, the receptacle. They sometimes fuse together and are difficult to count individually. This is the case with the snapdragon flower today. Stamens locate the stamens that surround the carpel. These are the male parts of the flower and consist of a terminal capsule, the anther attached to a slender filament. The anthers are the sites of a special type of cell division, meiosis, in which the daughter cells have one half haploid the number of chromosomes as the parent. These haploid cells develop into pollen. Pistol carefully remove the sepals and petals. In the center of the flower, locate the stalk-like pistil, the female part of the flower. It is composed of a swollen base, the ovary, and an elongated style that terminates in a stigma. The stigma may be lobed. Closely examine the tip of the stigma of the gladiolus and snapdragon. How many parts can you see in each? Ovary the pistil has apparently evolved from the fusion of several identical ovule egg producing structures called carpels. The number of these is reflected in the number of stigma parts, examined above. To observe the carpels and ovules, your instructor or the technician has cut across sectional slice. Use a razor blade of the ovary each flower. Place them in water in separate small glass containers, and then cover them with small watch glasses so they do not dry out. Go to the dissecting microscopes, remove the watch glass from one of the samples, turn on the top light, and examine the ovary. Count the number of carpal chambers comprising the ovary. Write your answer down in table 1. In each chamber you should see ovules, which actually look like tiny whitish eggs. One of the cells in a young developing ovule eventually undergoes meiosis, ultimately producing an egg cell ovum. Then repeat this for the other flower. Examine the generalized flower diagram below, figure 2, and the one in your textbook or on a chart displayed in the laboratory. Note, for some very excellent photos go on the internet and google snapdragon anatomy or gladiolus anatomy. Compare the modified forms of the snapdragon and gladiolus with the generalized flower diagram, figure 2. Label the function of each of the parts of the flower below, based on your reading on the previous page. Figure 2. Generalized flower diagram. With the help of the wall charts, models, the diagram in figure 3, and the following descriptions, locate and count the following parts of these flowers. Record your counts in table 1. Table 1. Numbers of flower parts in gladiolus and snapdragon. Gladiolus. Snapdragon. Count these flower parts. Note, the sepals on this plant are colorful, like petals. Capital H. Thank you for listening. That was a robot.